Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitsch. Yes, I'm a composer, and yes, I'm here every week. But each week, I'm joined by a special guest of my own selection, and we'll spend the next hour talking about them with frequent interruption by me. So I'm really excited about my guest this week, a very special guest, and you'll find out why in a second. Everybody, welcome to the show, Laura Strickling. Hello, Laura. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. So uh, I always start these things and I, I allow my guests to spend just uh, a few seconds ta- talking to us about kind of what they do and, um, you know, how they live in our space. So why don't you tell everybody, if they're not as familiar with your work as I am, um, why don't you tell everybody kind of what you're, what you're known for? Sure. So I am not a composer. I am a classical singer, a soprano, but I work with a lot of composers because I do a lot of new music. And so sometimes I like to like, claim like honorary membership to the composer community. Um, but I, um, I really enjoy, um, this kind of niche I've carved out in new music because there's nothing better than getting to pick the brain of the people who have written the music you're singing. I can't do that with Schubert. I can't do that with Beethoven. Um, but I can call up Jason Nitsch and say, Hey, what, where did you get this text? What inspired you about it? What's your process? Like I, I find um, I'm a very community oriented person in general. I love people and I love to know how they tick. So the fact that I can talk to composers and get the whole, the whole story is just one of my favorite things. That's really great. Uh, you know, you hit on something important. I've, I've heard Schubert never returns text messages. So <laughs> I, notoriously, I, yeah, I, <laughs> never. I feel like I feel like that was always a tough connection to make. So um, it's, it's, it's good that you've moved on from that. Um, yeah, well, that's that's really fantastic. And um, and you have a, a very, very large body of work and in a lot of different spaces. And so uh, the re- one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because you do a lot of work with composers, you spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, and you spend a lot of your talent performing new music and recording new music and commissioning new music. And so I think that that's a really important uh, important thing to talk about, not just from the composer side, but from the performer side as well. So we definitely want to touch on that um, a little bit later com- on. But- yeah, I mean, these conversations matter because I think there's a lot of kind of mystery on both sides. And, and I don't know why historically these communities and these conversations haven't necessarily been happening. And I basically learned the hard way how to make a commission happen and how, because no one told me, I just had to figure it out. Uh, and so, you know, I, I really want to be, I want to start the conversation for, especially for singers who are maybe younger um, who don't know that they can um, be the person who, you know, initiates uh, a new song or a new work. Um, you know, if, if if I can demystify that process at all, then like, I think my job is done because um, I think that that benefits both sides, you know, just everybody get out there and talk and have these conversations. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm about. Agreed completely. And I think that, um, you know, speaking from myself, I spent a lot of my early years writing big ensemble pieces and I didn't do a lot of work with individuals or with, with smaller groups or with chamber groups. And so um, when I kind of shifted to that late, late in my career, and it was interesting trying to make those connections at that point and you find those collaborators. And, and now I have some really fantastic you know, people, musicians and and singers in my life that, um, that I work with really, really regularly. And I do a lot of things with, but those are really incredible relationships that, that you build between, you know, a composer and between a performer. And so, yeah, I I agree. I think there is a little, little bit of a mystery to it. So I'm glad that you said that we're going to, uh, what's the, uh, What's the Scooby Doo? Uh, we're gonna mystery machine. This pull whole the thing. pull the sheet off their head and say, yeah, "You, exactly right. <laughs> it's you. It was you all along." <laughs> That's exactly right, Mister Maxwell. It can't be you, you know, or, or whoever it was. So, uh, yeah, that's that's really wonderful. I'm 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 excited to talk about that. Well, before we get to that, can you talk a little bit about? I I always ask people about kind of 
how they got into this strange music world that we all live in. Like kind of what was your entry point to just getting involved in music when you were younger? Um, well, I have like a very cliche story. My father was a minister and I sang in church. I remember my first solo when I was five years old singing away in a manger at the you know, church Christmas pageant. And and that bug is a very uh, strong one that <laughs> once that poison enters your veins, you're, you're done for. Um, and I always, you know, I was always the kid in choir and I always got a solo and I just, you know, it was my big part of my identity since I was really young. And, and, and when I was thinking about going to college, it wasn't even like a question that I would major in voice hilariously because I'd literally never taken a voice lesson. I didn't know what it meant to be a singer. I didn't know what it meant to take a voice lesson and to practice and to study being a singer, but I was a singer. So that was what I was going to be in college, you know? And, um, and, 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 so I, I did uh, do my bachelor's in, in performance and then my master's in performance. And then I was like, what did I just do? I don't know how to be a singer. Um, I don't know how to have this as a career. Like everyone just kept saying, well, you need to audition for, so this is a, a composer uh, heavy audience. I want to explain that most classical singers um, after graduate school, they hit the young artist program circuit very hard to these auditions for young artist programs. The the common wisdom is if you get into a young artist program at one of the top opera companies that basically your career is made that you have been chosen and you will be ushered into the, um, the golden gates of having a singing career. Um, and I didn't get any young artist program positions. And so then it was like, well, I guess I can't be a singer. I guess I can't have a career. Um, my husband was entering law school at that time. So I, um, got a job as the accreditation specialist for the National Association of Schools of Music. And um, we lived in D.C. and I kind of gave up the idea of being a singer. Um, I, I liked my job at an ASM um, and thought, well, this is music adjacent, you know, this is a music adjacent career. This makes a lot of sense. Um, this is stability. I guess this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And then um my husband, a couple of years later, got a grant to study Arabic in Morocco. And he was like, well, you know, do you want to keep your job and stay here? Do you want to come with me for the year? And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm not staying here. I'm going to Morocco for a year. <laughs> so we moved to Morocco and and I studied Arabic with him for a year, like immersion study um, at the uh, Arabic language, Arabic language Institute of Fez. And again, kind of was like, okay, well, maybe maybe I could pivot to translation eventually if I keep working at this. Like, maybe that's what I'm going to do with my life. And we came back from Morocco. And like, I, I did have like a good working conversational knowledge of classical Arabic, which is if for people who know, not extremely useful in translation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, like, I, I just kind of was again, like, well, what am I going to be when I grow up? And my husband kind of looked at me and was like, you are supposed to be a singer. That's what you were always supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I think you should at least take voice lessons again. He kind of encouraged me. He was like, you, you're, you know, it'll make you happy. So I started taking voice lessons again. At this point, I was 29. And if, for, again, for people who know much about a singing career, if you take off ages 25 to 29 uh, in the pursuit of a career or like just taking a voice lesson, you know, like letting your technique out, yeah. um, that's not something you come back from easily. And um, I happened upon the most wonderful voice teacher, Elizabeth Daniels, who lives outside of Washington, D.C. And I just started going to weekly lessons again. And she encouraged me to enter competitions I liked doing competitions because it gave me goals to work towards um, in my practicing. I don't like to, you know, just kind of the idea of just kind of doing it for no reason didn't, it didn't, it didn't inspire me to practice. So the competitions inspired me to practice and to be the best singer I could be. Um, at one of those competitions, a woman who, uh, Rosemary Heiler Ritter, who's the founder and director of the Songfest program, heard me and invited me to come um, as a Stern Fellow. And that kind of started me down this path of not just falling in love with song, but loving falling in love with new song and composers, the people who write songs and why, why are they writing them? Like, why, why do they matter? Um, so I went back to Songfest the next summer and also the Ravinia Song Festival. And then the following two summers, I went to the Tanglewood Festival. And again, these are all kind of song focused, um, chamber music focused, um, intensive things extensive intensive experiences with like masters of the craft who just inspired me every single day and i don't you know again it's a it's a very poisonous bug once it bites you and i just kind of kept going down that path 
Um, and luckily, you know, getting, getting gigs and experiences that, that added to me continuing to be able to work in the field. Uh, and then, uh, at some point I decided to make a CD, a solo CD. I'd made some other CDs on bigger projects, but I decided to make a solo CD and lo and behold, you know, it was re released during the pandemic and it got a Grammy nomination, which shocked no one more than me. Uh, and, you know, again, it was, it, it, I didn't expect it, but whoa, the valid validation of just like, I feel you feel like you're out here making art and doing the best you can, but does anyone care? And just getting that Grammy nomination out of the blue was, I don't know, it just, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I, I it's one of the best days of my life. Uh, and then I last year made another CD and it was released this current year's August. So 2023, August. And it also got a Grammy nomination two weeks ago. So I'm just still floored. And, you know, I don't think if you had told 29 year old Laura coming back from Morocco that not only would she still be singing at 42, she would have two Grammy nominations. Uh, she wouldn't believe me. <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, and yeah, I'm just so grateful. That's really wonderful. Well, um, so let's talk about your first your first Grammy nominated album. That was Confessions, correct? Correct. So talk a little bit about, you know, th this is your first album. Mm -hmm. Talk about, you know, kind of how you went about putting it together. How did you pick your selections? You know, were, were any of those pieces uh, that you sang commissions, anything like that? Just talk about what that album was like for you. None of those were commissions. I again, had fallen in love with kind of new music, as it were, songs that were currently being written. Um, I had come across a song cycle by a composer named Clarice Assad, and it's called Confessions. And every time I sang it, it was, it was something I'd been singing for several years. And every time I sang it, uh, people in the audience would say, where can I hear that again? That is just so real it is mm. so honest and there's not you know there's really kind of nothing like it out there and people wanted to hear it again but there was no recording and i had it in my mind like i need to make the recording and if yeah. so that was my cornerstone and i was like okay so like what if i just say like what do i what things do i love and feel like i need to champion because they are objectively amazing and i want them to enter kind of the modern canon of what singers are saying i'm finding that a lot of singers especially younger singers need to hear something before they're inspired to learn it themselves so i knew that you know i didn't need to have a grammy nomination to um put out a, a cd of songs that 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 it would make a difference in those composers lives their lives their their song would have more visibility and um and i've been really really excited to hear from pretty much all of those composers that these song cycles on that CD are being sung uh, and those scores are being purchased. And um, it, especially in the case of confessions, there are, uh, again, are, are they're about very real subjects like kind of um, aging and how it, it's like, we can't stop it as women. Like we, we, all of these things happen to us as we age and we can't stop it. Um, one of the songs is, is, essentially i mean functionally it's about an eating disorder uh and i've had a lot of conversations i've had been sent emails and had phone calls with singers who are working at it who have heard it who just want to talk about it and um it's changed the way i interpret them because of these these other thoughts and other other you know experiences that i've been um sharing share that have been shared with me by other singers um but ultimately i you know using corner co confessions as the cornerstone um i wanted to share show um, range of uh, literary idea, uh, range of musical language. So I didn't want everything to be inaccessible to people who love romantic music. I didn't want everything uh, to be so romantic that people who live by, you know, crunchy, uh, out there, new music that I wanted something for everybody, basically. Um, and so I looked to the composers who I'd worked with, um, like Clarice Assad. I went to graduate school with Amy Beth Kirsten. I have worked extensively with Tom Chapulo over the years, and I just love his music. Um, I, let's see, um, Michael Jupstrom and I had intersected with the Brooklyn Art Song Society and his songs were so lush and beautiful and just really um, added a, a depth to and rounded out the, the program, quote unquote, I was creating. Um, uh, Libby Larson has also been someone who uh, has been an inspiration to me and personally. And, you know, kind of, she got me my first 
gig as a professional singer uh, by mm. recommending me for for something that when someone asked her, you know, who should sing this this song cycle on our series, and she said me, and you know, like literally started the a big path for me. Um, and so putting a song of hers that hadn't been recorded yet on the CD that also kind of fit in five other different ways really was important to me. Um, but yeah, it, it, it all kind of come, came, it, there's, there's, there's a personal element. I just like this music, but there's also, you know, what, what works together? What, ma what makes people want to listen to the CD as a whole or listen to it in part because they just have to hear that one thing again. Um, that's kind of how I, there's a, a million, a million reasons to choose anything. And of course there's a million other things that deserve to be on it. And I have if I had the funding, I would make a CD every year because there's so much good music out there. And it kind of kills me that <laughs> I'm limited only by my ability to pay for <laughs> recorded time in the studio. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, but that's a, that's definitely a real thing. Um, I experienced that as well. Um, well, it's got to be really gratifying, you know, on the professional side, it's got to be really gratifying to hear from these composers whose works you've featured to hear that they're reaching a bigger audience now because of your recording. It's got to be really gratifying on a personal level to hear from these people who hear your performance and they connect with it because of the subject matter. And it's something that they can relate to. Like that has to be really rewarding and gratifying even beyond, you know, the, the coolness of getting nominated for a Grammy. I'd say it's actually the cooler part because the Grammy nomination is, it is what it is. And it's not something you can ever, you know, if you start making CDs because you hope that you're going to get a Grammy nomination, you will be sorely disappointed sure. um, because you need to be making the best art you can, regardless of who is listening. Um, but no, I would say, you know, best of all possible is finding out that it really did make a difference in these composers' lives. That to me is the most important thing because that builds our community and it supports our, our community. And everyone keeps talking about how, you know, classical music is dying and, you know, how are we going to support the future of classical music? And I will say that it starts with you and me and, yeah. and making a difference ourselves where we can, how we can. Um, and that's that, that kind of, um, you know, dedication matters. Uh, it can't be about us. Otherwise I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. And I think from the writer perspective, I think we're, I think most composers are always writing about things that are relevant to them or that have meaning to them or that they have experience with or something that they've gone through. But I think it's always really great when you put something like that out in the world and then you run into somebody later on, like, oh, I heard this piece of yours. It was so great because, you know, and then you kind of get that little, um, that little connection to that person. And you're like, wow, this thing that I literally, you know, I, I wrote it in my basement or whatever. And um, it, it actually resonates with people. It actually connected with other people that I didn't even know. And that's always something really, uh, really amazing. And um, I've only gotten to experience that as a writer because you don't want to hear me sing. Um, <laughs> I, I have a voice made for like a, like a holiday in um, after breakfast is over on the weekends, you know, like nobody's hanging out anymore. Well, that's uh, why we have a symbiotic relationship. You know, I can't sing unless a composer <laughs> writes something for me to sing, right? Like there, right. and you need me to go sing it. Like we have this thing that we need each other, which is why we need to have such a strong community. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. For sure. Well, uh, talk to us a little bit about the, the most recent album, 40 at 40. Um, talk to me about kind of, you know, that process. Did you go through a similar process? Did you have like a cornerstone piece, something you were building around or what was that like? No, it's completely. Um, so I had a, a child, I have a daughter uh, in 2016. And I think it was a good like three years before my brain could function on a creative level again. Uh, and I kept saying, like, I just feel like I'm like a husk. I'm, I kept doing gigs. <laughs> I learned music, but I was doing like what was required. I was so tired and it was just, you know, the, the, the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done was having a child and kind of functioning afterwards. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then I can I, 40 at 40 was like literally one day I was at a cafe in New York in 2009 November 2019 and 
it was like all of a sudden again this is about three uh, a little over three years since I had the baby uh, all of a sudden I felt like this kind of like my brain just like open up again and I had this idea and part of it was I needed to you know I had programs coming up that I needed to get music together for and I thought you know I've premiered a lot of stuff but I've never actually commissioned something like I don't know how to do that and I don't know what I would commission if I could uh, and I'm just sitting at this cafe and I was like, you know, writing down all the names of the composers I care so deeply about. And how could I possibly pick one? These are the reason these people are the reason that I'm a singer today. Uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned that Libby Larson got me my first professional gig. Um, and I don't even think she set out to do that. It wasn't like she was like, I'm going to help Laura. It was like she just kind of said my name that day. Yeah. And uh, you know, and Tom Chapulo has championed me in several different ways. It's like, how can you pick? between people like who's not who have inspired you not just by the music they write but by the people who they are you can't pick this it was impossible and I was like well maybe I could you know maybe I could get like two or three cycles I don't know and figure out a way to premiere them and and as I'm just writing this list it's getting longer and longer oh yeah and I thought no and and what if I just commission everybody one song from everybody, one song from everybody. Okay. Let's just do that. And, uh, I, I pulled together. I was like, I'm not sure if this is a good idea or a terrible idea. And I pulled together some composers, uh, for lunch the next day that were, I was in town that were also in town. And I just said, Hey guys, here's the idea. Is this dumb? <laughs> are they gonna like, is, are people gonna hate this idea? And they were like, no, no, no we love it. And we want, you know, we want to be part of it. So yeah. uh, it kind of snowballed. And then by January 2020, I had, you know, all my, you know, all my 40 asks out there and accepted and, and then the pandemic hit. And uh, I, at this point, I still haven't even hadn't even released confessions because again, I went I fell into this like black hole. And it wasn't just my actually, it wasn't just my daughter being born. We also were hit by uh we lived on the island of St. Thomas and we were hit by hurricanes in 2017 that really uh threw us all for a loop. So there was kind of like a combination of becoming a mother and also like dealing with, you know, uh natural disaster trauma for a couple of years. Yeah. So 2019 was when the, the fog love <laughs> fog lifted. Um, but then I still had this CD that still hadn't been released. It had been recorded before the hurricanes, but it hadn't been released sitting on my mm. shelf. Pandemic hit, all of a sudden I'm sitting on this island in the Caribbean. I can't travel to do my job. I'm I have nothing I have nothing to do but work on these commissions with all of these composers I had no idea when I had this idea that it would be kind of like the life sustaining project that it became like I had no idea how much I would depend on that idea that I had in November 2019 for my very like soul <laughs> sustenance for a good two years um through the pandemic um and um so thankful that uh that that happened as it did just because I can't imagine how much harder we all have our pandemic stories we all have stories about hard how hard it was um for me the the 40 at 40 project kind of saved me uh spiritually and um and around that same time all of a sudden I had time to go back to the CD, the confessions CD and say, okay, well, no, I'm just sitting here. I have no excuse. I have time. We're going to release this. So the confession CD came out in November, 2020. And that again, got, got a Grammy nomination. So that helped with the momentum of getting 40 at 40, keeping, keeping 40 at 40 going throughout the pandemic. And then um, we, uh, you know, took the first 20 submissions and recorded them in the summer of 2021. My pianist is in Chicago. Again, I'm on an island. Uh, and this is before <laughs> vaccinations. So like people weren't yeah. traveling yet, right? Right, right? But my parents live in Chicago. So he, the, my pianist, Daniel Schlossberg, and I sent recordings back and forth to each other for the whole spring 2021. Uh, he would send me the piano part and I would use GarageBand to layer my voice over it. And then we would figure out, you know, where we needed more of this, more of that, right. blah, 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 conversations. We did that all spring with the, with the songs. And then in the summer, um, my daughter was three at the time, I think. We uh, got on a plane and I felt like the worst mother in the world traveling with my daughter to Chicago during a pandemic. Um, but we went and planted with my parents for three months and my pianist and I practiced all summer and then, uh, released, or uh, then we recorded the CD in August, 2021. 
even that got affected by COVID because while we were on the plane on our way to New York to record, we found out we'd been uh, exposed to COVID um, by a close family member. So we lost the first day of recording because we had to go get find. This was again, hard to find COVID testing. Right. You had to go to a place. Right. And uh, so we lost a day of recording. We had to do what we were supposed to do in five days, do it in four days. That was exhausting uh, and hard. Um, and then, you know, again, it kind of, it takes time to put out a CD. So sure. um, it, all the, all the back end work that happens after recording is actually the hardest part and the part that takes the longest to get up the hill. So um, the CD was released in August, 2023. So like two years after we recorded it. And then uh, a month, basically a month later, it got a Grammy nomination, which is just insane. And here we are like two weeks later. <laughs> right. <laughs> but- <laughs> Yeah. I mean, things, things happen really fast like that. Yeah. That's, that's really a, that's really amazing. And, and what a great, what a great project to do and to then have all these amazing experiences with all these different composers who I'm sure you could probably tell a great story about every single piece and every single one of them. Um, something that you took away from, from that process and what a cool thing to, that's probably a podcast by itself. I know, right? We'll, we'll have you back in season two and you can you can do 20 of the stories. <laughs> we can, I should just like sit down with each composer and have like a podcast for each one of them. That's a great idea, Jason. You absolutely could. <laughs> because each you one of them does have could. a story. There's no yeah. question. They're like I mean, all my children. That's 40 episodes right there. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're good for two years-ish if you do yeah. about you do one one every other week or something. You know, it's <laughs> it's really interesting the uh, the number of times a really big project uh, comes out of a very casual conversation or something that somebody says to you and you kind of go, oh wait a minute, like that 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 may be a really great idea. That's that's how my other podcast started was that I had this idea for a piece I could never figure out how to make work because it was just too silly. It, not too silly, but it was too complicated. I thought nobody, if I write it, no one will ever perform it. Um, it has no life possibility at all. And and one of my one of my friends said, you know, have you ever thought about taking this idea and turning it into a podcast? And that's how my my sci-fi podcast was born. For for them, just kind of a throwaway comment. For me, it was like, wait a minute, hold on, like. And and now just, work. <laughs> yeah, just just the same way. Like three three years later, three seasons in, it's the same thing. Like it's it's my like uh, my like grounding you know project that I I always work on and that it's always there and that kind of always keeps me excited even when um, even when I'm in the dregs of, of writing three and a half hours of music a year. <laughs> so, it's so true I, though, as artists, like these these things keep you going. They keep your spirits up because so much of what we do is hard and sacrifice. There's so much sacrifice. There's so much, you know, we like to talk about the highs, but there's also a lot of lows and in the day to day. And so like having these big things just kind of makes you keep putting one foot in front of the other. It does. It it keeps you going. And uh, you know, for, for somebody that's not a performer, you know, my, uh, you know, kind of my fun, my, my payoff at the end of all this work is usually months after I finish something. It's never the case where I write something, you know, and like, I hear it the next week. It's always like, I'm going to hear this in September, you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's always, it's always very delayed, um, which can be tough too. Um, It's very, very rare that I'll write something and then get to hear it like really really soon after that it has to be a special situation like this if i'm writing for somebody that i know is going to start sending me recordings and they're going to rehearse it and i can go hear it um so yeah it's it's interesting what keeps uh, what keeps us going sometimes and how those projects can be they can be very affirming but they can also be very grounding and very centering and like you almost kind of devise your purpose from it for a little while and uh, it keeps you from giving up yeah I mean, sometimes I'm like, well, I I haven't learned a Schubert song in a very long time. Like maybe I need to get back to some <laughs> some he's core gotta, rep. He's um, text but, you back first. If he doesn't text and, you back, then I say you don't. Well, I know, I know. Like, you know <laughs> I'm not commissioning Schubert at all. No. He doesn't communicate. No. No. <laughs> 
But then I get a new 4040 song in my inbox and I'm all, you know, excited and running Super off excited Because you're so. also like, this was for me. I'm not singing somebody else's song. Yeah, but you know, there uh, when one of the one of the things I always said was that like I want to make sure these songs don't end with me. So like there is no sure. um there's no exclusivity uh clause in my contracts. I do not want to be the only singer who sings these songs. So I did say, you know, in as much as you're obviously you're writing for me, but in as much as you imagine this as a universal piece i'm teamed up with new music shelf and we're putting out as many songs as we can as part of the an, an anthology a printed mm. anthology and a digital anthology um available um and in the digital form um it won't just be the keys i sing it'll be as many keys are oh, nice. are kind of like physically possible yeah um because i don't I want to make sure that as many people can access these things as possible. I th I want to make sure that we are doing the greatest good for not just the composer community community by making their songs available, um, but also um, for the singer community because uh, you know there's so many texts. We I spend a lot of time talking about text uh, because I, I tr deeply believe that words matter. And sure. being and as a singer, we don't write our own songs. A classical singer, we don't write our own songs. And so having some agency over the texts you choose, the stories you create because of the order you put them in. Um, I wanted to make sure that if there were words that really resonated with someone, um, that even if they aren't singing in soprano keys, uh, lyric soprano keys, that, that, that these would be accessible to them if possible. Obviously, you know, Yes, this this staff such as it is, as it is not every song is available to every person functionally but as much in as much as sure. it is we wanted to make sure that um that that they were accessible uh and uh we i've been pushing really hard to try to have um a range of ideas and a range of um kind of poets ideally in the beginning i had hoped that everything would be current poetry not um you know uh public domain but <laughs> i mentioned how i've kind of like learned as i go it's really difficult to get permissions for current poetry and even if the poet wants you to have it sometimes their publisher won't let you have it or they'll only let it have it for a short amount of time and you have to and so i'm just finding that like i, I now know why composers like trend toward public domain poetry because publishers make it so incredibly difficult to um to write songs on on poet poetry that's being currently written and it's a shame because i think people want to sing words that are being written right now uh and i and, I, and like i said in most cases most of the poets i've talked to would love to have their words explored um from a, by a composer in a musical way um and then we've got this you know kind of shadowy figure in the background not making it possible so um we do have some current composers on the cd but you know I, it, it's just kind of unfortunate that they couldn't all be <laughs> yeah no i i understand that completely uh did you have anybody did anybody write their own text or did everybody find yeah text? yeah yeah they did actually uh, a couple uh joe no so jody gobel wrote kind of a bonus 40 at 40 song <laughs> So the first 41. one she wrote, okay. she wrote a bonus. Uh, the first one she wrote was on a poem by uh, Yana Noguchi, Public Domain. Uh, the second one she wrote is called The Soprano's Revenge, and it is hilarious. And she basically took like the light bulb joke trope, like how many tenors does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> um, you know, how many? I'm not going to give away the joke, but she basically took the trope and, and wrote a, a, a song around it. And it's just so funny uh and Bess McCrary is um a mom friend of mine and she's like a singer songwriter style composer um and I wanted to have again different points of view and different kinds of songs different kinds of voices that you might not necessarily have heard of that composer but wow like I wanted to see what my friends could do I wanted to see what they what would make you know it just it was like you know, exciting and surprises all around. But she wrote a text on motherhood and she talked to me about it and said, you know, would you, are you comfortable singing these words? And I was because I related so deeply to them. It's about kind of losing your sense of self when you become a mother. Um, and again, Bess wrote those words, but I think a lot of mothers can relate to those words of just feeling like, you know, before you have a child, you're like this 
you know, wild, uh, free being. And then all of a sudden, like, no matter how much you love your kid, you missed a little bit of that freedom you had before the right. wildness. Um, and, and I think a lot of mothers can relate to that. So I, I, I really appreciated her like plumbing the depths of her own soul to write those words and, and be so honest. And it's, it's a kind of a, a, a it's a gorgeous and kind of devastating song. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and I think those are the only two so far, but we've got some coming up, I believe, that are uh, also composer texts. I I always struggled to set other people's words, and I don't know why. I think it's because my my brain always wants things rhythmically to happen a certain way in a certain cadence, and you know, I I don't know. So I I always wrote my own words, and and I will admit, I won't tell the joke, but I will admit, I wrote an entire piece just to set up one joke. <laughs> um, I had the joke and I went, I'm just going to write something so that I can only tell this joke. Um, and it's only a moderately funny joke, but, <laughs> but I, I will admit to having, having done that. No one who has heard any of my music is, will be the least bit surprised. <laughs> I love I, that. No, I, I love that. Cause that. I bet you had so much fun working on it. You know, and that's what I don't know. That's awesome. awesome, awesome. I did. Fully I, support. did. I did. And it's, <laughs> it's not going to get recorded until next year, but I, uh, I have a good time telling people about it because I always preface it by the whole piece is to tell one joke. <laughs> And when you get to the joke, either it lands and they really find it hilarious or they roll their eyes. <laughs> I love really, it. There's really no in between. I'm um, into that. <laughs> but I, I like I like music that takes a hard left turn, you know, right at the last exit, you know, and, and kind of doesn't go where you expect it to. So I'm that's what I'm guilty of. Um, well, that's that's really fantastic, and and what a great project! I would encourage everybody to check out both of those albums because they're they're really tremendous. And not only that, but then you know, check out all of those amazing composers that are on those those CDs as well. So uh, CDs, do people say CDs anymore? I mean, I keep saying CD, and I actually did release it as a CD because I think that you know, classical music. I mean, even new classical music, we tend to be a a, a traditional sort we like to have it on our shelves we like to you know have the thing so uh it is becoming more trendy to just release digital and that's actually so much more cost effective and i do not fault anyone for making that choice it's valid um but for for me i'm finding that like there are the people who really want the, the physical thing want the physical thing and i am nothing but here to um serve the people who you know support what i do and i want to make sure that i'm giving them what they want it's interesting. My my daughters are teenagers and my, my oldest daughter is really into record albums and she loves having the record and playing it on the turntable. And mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of indifferent. I listen to it. I go, yeah, it sounds great. But she's just like, no, this is the coolest thing ever. And I think, yeah, all right, great. Sounds, I go, sounds I, like you raised her right. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, apparent, apparently I did. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> It's, it's fun. We, one of the things we did over the holiday was we, we went to a record shop and we were just scrolling through things and finding stuff. And the things that she wants to listen to sometimes are, uh, we'll call them of questionable value, but then every now and then she'll be like, hold on. Do they have that Tom Petty record? And I'll be like, how do you know about Tom Petty? Like, (laughs) dig it. Did you really get that? I mean, I could understand if you're going around after hanging around with me all your life being like, where's that Stravinsky recording? You know, but <laughs> you know, Tom Petty, I think that's her, that's my, that's my mother's influence. That's her grandmother. I so, would love to release my next recording on uh, LP as well. That's so cool. I don't know if go. I can be that. I don't know if I am that cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You are that cool. And it needs to be like, not just like a standard black. It needs to be like, like gold sparkly, like something yeah, or like really chalk off. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now we've set the expectations for whatever whatever album number three is. Um, I've got oh man, I have so many CDs in this brain you don't understand. I just need to find uh I need to win the lottery so that I can make all of these CDs that are up here. <laughs> yeah. My my friends know on my phone I have just an, an open uh note file that has nothing but piece titles and piece ideas and i i will just pull it out sometimes and scroll and it just scrolls forever and i think i will never in my lifetime get to all of these no this is this is we all we need the uh the esther or the medici like 
uh, what are they, you know, the, the, the donors who like support the artist's lives and make their, you know, help handle, write all of his operas and oratorios, you know, that kind of thing. We need that to exist again. <laughs> yep. We need the rich people. Step up, rich people. Come on. <laughs> Speaking of, Composer Chat has no sponsors. So if you'd like to sponsor the show, my pockets are open and waiting. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Only you can support your local composer. <laughs> Podcast. I did, I did not pull out, uh, put out a call for... Uh, for funds on giving Tuesday. <laughs> like, I, I did receive quite a lot. You're of the them. only one. I think you're the only one I got. I was like, ah, because I, I don't know about you, but I, I actually feel like this intense guilt that I can't give to each and every one. Like I, I cannot, I don't just, I don't have an annoyance reaction to getting those emails. I have a like, Oh, I wish I wish I had the money. I, I because I believe in all of those things. I'm on their mailing lists for a reason and I care deeply about my my friends and what they're doing and you know, it's just um yeah. Yeah. It, it is how it is. It be how it be. One of my composer friends put on their Facebook today. They put I've never gotten so many emails asking for money from so many organizations that have rejected me repeatedly. <laughs> You know, luckily, I don't think I I don't think that I've had that experience. Like, I feel like I, I don't think I got on those mailing lists. Thank goodness. <laughs> and maybe that's because I was auditioning for your artist programs like 15 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like they don't have me in their system anymore. <laughs> you missed the data collection. I'm old. Hashtag old. <laughs> You're still younger than me, so. <laughs> uh, you've got you've got a bright future ahead of you um i'm looking backwards um okay let me let me ask you a couple of things um do you have any i, I asked my composer guess this do you have any things that you have purchased any items you purchased brought into your life that have really made once you have acquired them have really made a huge difference like in your in your whatever, in your practice, in your performance, in your recording, do you have anything like that? Well, it's funny because I am like the least technologically savvy person on the planet. I still am the least. But, you know, during the po the pandemic, during the panty, we all had to go Zoom and I did so many random performances for different groups online uh, from my porch in St. Thomas and, you know, kind of acquiring good microphones and like a good ring like having all of these little tech things yeah. made a, a world of difference and I kind of hate that I have them because when you have that kind of stuff you have to like manage it and it feels like I've got cords everywhere and I you know <laughs> kind of like I like a kind of more <laughs> sleek minimalist existence and now I've got like this microphone's for this and this microphone's for that I kind of hate them but I also yeah. love them because I feel like they when I listen back to the things I do I'm you know I feel like okay I'm I'm you know accomplishing them with some sort of you know excellence um I was able to record um you know all these things that my pianist and I were working on during the pandemic uh for 40 at 40 like really I mean some of these recordings are pretty good quality because I got the nice mic um yeah. and I did a recording with Jody Goble we did some we recorded some of her song cycles distanced she like did the piano on a sound stage in Iowa and I did mine in my apartment in St. Thomas and they're yeah. actually pretty good, you know? And so having that ability, having been able to kind of incorporate what my smallest amount of technology possible um, during the pandemic has changed my ability to do my job post pandemic uh, for the better. And it's helped me ever since. And so having been forced to, to do that stuff has made a difference for me. It's amazing what you can do these days because of the advances in technology. And I think a lot of it was forced. Oh yeah. Forced. By, <laughs> by the pandemic. And, and I think that's fine, but like I'm working on a, a recording right now and you know, the string orchestra is in South Africa and my cello soloist is in Las Vegas and my vocalist is in new Orleans and you know, they're all going to do their thing in their places and we're all going to put it together and, and it's going to be this amazing thing. And you think there's no way that they, they pulled this together. Everybody recorded, you know, weeks apart at different times and different places. And they pulled this together to make this, to make this recording. That's not going to sound like that at all. It's going to sound like we just ran it and, 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 and recorded it. And so I don't know that 10 years ago, you could have done that no. quite as effectively as you can right all. now. And I think for a lot of, I think for a lot of creative people, it's a real, um, it's been a real game changer. And um, I think you're starting to see that, especially in collaborations like like what you're describing. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and also, you know, just kind of the commissions themselves. I mean, I'm self-funding all this project and, uh, I don't know, maybe I won't ever be able to retire because of that. But like, <laughs> I also feel like it's money well spent in my, in my brain. Like it's, it lasts forever. And I guess that's, maybe that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about these songs not ending with me and having, you know, kind of entering the modern song canon. It's just, you know, I, I bought them. <laughs> sure. yeah. I want to, I want them to be well used, but like, I, I just really feel like, um, there's like a greater good and like it, 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 uh, you know, it, it just, it, it's one of the best things I think, you know, maybe I'm not supporting every single organization <laughs> in the universe on giving Tuesday, but I gave, <laughs> did what I could in my little corner with what little funds I have, you know, to work with the composer community. I don't know. And again, it's like, I always wish I could do more, but it's, you know, what I can do. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I tend towards supporting, you know, those friends that are out there that are doing things like you're doing that, oh, here's a recording project that I'm trying to, you know, raise some money for, whether it's a a GoFundMe or whatever, or it's on Kickstarter. Like I, I tend to see those things and go, yes. All right. Yep. You got me. I'm going to, you're going to send me a sticker. Great. That's wonderful. You know, um, yeah, I, I tend to, to go that way, um, as much as I possibly can. Cause there are a lot of people doing some really, really incredibly neat work, you know, composers and, uh, and performers and singer songwriters and, you know, all, all that kind of, all, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of great music out there. And, uh, as, as much as we would like to, to minimize it, the financial part of it is a huge, uh, barricade you know, yeah. to getting a lot of projects off the ground. Um, that well, can you imagine really the cool. art, the art that we could, that all of us could make if the, the finances weren't an issue? Like if we did have government funding for the arts, robust funding for the arts, like right. just imagine, it's like when you watch one of those reality shows, like Great British Breaking Show, where they've got the tent is hot and you've got five minutes to create a five tier <laughs> buttercream cake and the, they're all crying and things are yeah. melting. And I'm like, what could those people do if you gave them the right conditions and the right amount of time? Like, I want to see what they can do. Then you would really see something. And like, I feel you like have that six months. All... We're going to pay your rent. You yeah. tell us what ingredients you need and, Just uh, imagine how. and as many ovens as you want and, and make us something amazing. I, I, I bet that they could, they probably and... all could. And that's the art I want to see, you know? So yeah. it's like, it's such a shame that we have devalued kind of the idea of funding artists in our society. It's seen as like, well, you should just be lucky that you get to do it and you get to do what you love. That's, that's reward in itself and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, but we still have to pay rent because we're making art into capitalism. Um, but right. I, I just, I just would love to see what my composer friends could create if like, every single one of them didn't have to worry about paying the rent. Oh my gosh. It would be so amazing. It, it absolutely would be. Yeah, I agree. Well, we'll work on it. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get anywhere. But we'll Let's all run for it. office. <laughs> yeah. Everybody listening, all you, all you artists add something else to your plate, go That's run right. for office. <laughs> I guarantee you this. We would have the best theme music on our commercials. We would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could go all all British monarchy style. We could all have our own like piece written for Theme our music. inauguration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I want Stephen lit. If I want Stephen musicians. <laughs> I want Stephen Sondheim to write mine, but he's he's passed away. <laughs> um. Well, very cool. Well, um, we're we're coming up to the end of things. I always end these conversations with with ten. Um, Unknown, very frivolous, mostly silly, not at all serious uh, questions. Okay. And uh, for people that listen to the show regularly, they have noted um, sometimes it's not actually 10 questions. Uh, but I, I wrote on my paper here, uh, which is not paper at all. It's my Google Doc. Um, I've wrote that this is the 10 questions segment. So that's what I'm going to keep calling it. No matter how many questions there are, it's going to continue okay. to be the 10 question um, it's going to continue to be the 10 question segment. Can you see me? Cause I lost my zoom window. 
Oh, I can there see we go. you. Okay, got you. Okay, sorry. Technical difficulties. <laughs> that was question number one. Can you can you see me? I can see you. Okay. All right, there's one. See, now I feel like I've banked one and I have one to spare <laughs> in case I only get to nine. Okay. Um, okay, all right, Laura, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite food? Um. Okay, so that's hard. When mm. I lived in... Morocco I wanted Mexican food so very badly and we didn't couldn't even get all the the ingredients to make it like it was impossible so we called it Moroccan whenever we tried to make it um so I'm gonna say Morocco I'm gonna say Mexican like that would be my like desert island like just genre like yeah. anything yeah that's a good choice one of my favorite movies by the way set in Morocco is it which one uh it's it's really it's it is famous for being a terrible movie but I really love it because it's so kind of comically awful but it's ishtar i've not uh, seen ishtar set in morocco uh warren Beatty and dustin hoffman and uh charles groden is in it and warren Beatty and dustin hoffman are uh, not inconsequentially they are songwriters um who are really uh awful (laughs) and they've decided that uh they've decided that they their 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 pathway towards fame is that they need to have an act where they sing their songs so that they can become popular and then they can write songs for everybody. They could be the next Simon and Garfunkel. Um, and unfortunately, their songs are awful and they <laughs> they don't actually sing very well, um, which is how they end up in Morocco uh, trying to get their their act going. Anyway, that's the- how I ended up in Morocco. <laughs> You could write you could write better songs that are in this movie. Um, um, it, anyway, the long the the short version is they end up working for the CIA because why wouldn't you? And so they're equally as bad at that. And <laughs> I need um, to go see this movie. Apparently, <laughs> it's it's real. It, it is if you if you Google it, you will see it is it is uh, historically lambasted as uh, as one of the one of the biggest flops in history. Um, <sighs> But be- I think because it's about bad songwriters, I think I've always watched it and I've kind of, it's, it's kind of resonated with me. I thought there's certain points in my life where I feel like I could be like in a hotel lobby in Morocco trying to, trying to sell my music to somebody. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would encourage you to write it when you are not angry about other things. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not having a career existential crisis, like every other five minutes of my life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe when you're doing something else to distract you, um, that'd be a great time. Well, you you have been all over all over the map, but do you have a favorite place to vacation or someplace you like to visit? Um. Well, you know, I lived in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands for nine years, and I had never been there before. I lived there, um, and so. I, it's hard like to to for me that place I ache for it like it's so beautiful and I have so many people I love there and we moved away in August so like two months ago three months ago um and I I I was looking through some pictures um of my daughter like running in the surf on the beach uh when she was like two the other day there was like a video that just popped up in my phone's memories and it like it made me like feel physically ill how much I wanted to be in that place and not just because of that place but because of the people who I love there Mm. so I would say from now on that's going to be the only place I want a vacation because it's not just going to see a beautiful place and enjoy the warmth and the sun and the 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 beach and the water but just the people so I'm going to say St. Thomas everybody go to St. Thomas it's it's, it's a U.S. uh, territory your dollar is good there (laughs) I love that uh, Laura's inviting everybody to visit her in St. Thomas. That's well, I don't live there anymore, cool. so well, I'll see you. <laughs> Send me pictures so I can enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really great. Now, and you you mentioned before you you're from Chicago, right? Did I, do I remember Correct. that right? You grew up in Chicago. Yeah, I grew up in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Chicago is one of my uh, favorite places to visit. I mean, it's I love Chicago. Don't get me wrong. And since my parents have always lived here, I came back a lot uh, and I have friends here. And I mean, we live in Racine, Wisconsin, Wisconsin now, which is about an hour and a half north of Chicago. And so I go down for concerts and parties and things. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just I love Chicago. Uh, It'll always be home uh, in a sense. Is it one of those, you know, like I I grew up in Houston and I have kind of a love hate relationship with Houston. There are things that I love about it because memories and there are things that I when I go back and and I'm there, I think, oh God, this is terrible. Why? How did I ever? 
I no, actually, I feel so like I only have I only have good feels about Chicago. If I could have right. afforded to live in Chicago, we might be living in Chicago right now. But, you know, well, I am I'm a struggling musician. So we live in Racine, Wisconsin. It's a lot cheaper, <laughs> but close enough. Well, sorry, Houston. Um, you, you know, <laughs> I, I will never like the humidity and I will never like the traffic. Um, you know, <laughs> well, I'm, the traffic. No one likes traffic anywhere they live. I lived in D.C. for like 10 years. D.C. Oh, sure. is a miserable place to live just because of the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Well, I, I have built-in trip to Chicago every year for Midwest. So I, I feel like I'm there very often, but you know, I'm there for three days or whatever, and it's the dead of winter. So I'm not really outside, but I'm. <laughs> no, it's beautiful, especially because it's right on the lake. I mean, our, our yeah. house in Racine is right on the lake too, or near the lake. And it's just, I don't know, Chicago is a really special place and there's always something going on. And I don't know, there's just something about the skyline that's special. It's a special place. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I've always liked Chicago. Um, do you have a favorite color? Uh, yellow. Everyone knows this yellow. yellow my gra- yeah. my Grammy, uh, awards, uh, my, my Grammy ceremony dress was yellow. I, I, just- I remember, I remember seeing that <laughs> it was a, it was a very bright, vibrant uh, yellow. I love yellow. I yeah. think everything about me is yellow. I'm just like, I'm trying to be super optimistic and I'm like, kind of a little too much energy for most people and yellow is yeah. very yellow <laughs> if, if, if yellow were my color and it's not it would be for caution <laughs> <laughs> it would be like a warning sign to everybody else <laughs> well um do you remember um i don't know how many questions and we're in so we'll keep going yeah. do you remember uh what's the last thing you googled um let's see we are going to the grand canyon for new year's because my sister lives in phoenix and so i was like googling like hotels in that area so that'll be fun That's, i've never uh, been to the grand canyon <laughs> most of the answers are like that uh they're, they're, they're fairly they're fairly boring um <laughs> do you uh now this might depend on where you're living but but when when you go to sleep do you sleep with your socks on or do you sleep with your socks off Socks off, socks off. off all the way. That that is like the biggest ick to me. Socks in bed. I don't know why. I get, oh, I feel like I'm gonna suffocate. Really? A big no. <laughs> okay. I I mean I can get behind that. I'm I'm the same way. Um if there was something uh if there was a job you could do other than what you're doing now that you think you would have been really good at. You already mentioned a couple that you actually did, but was there, is there something that you could see yourself doing if you weren't doing any of those things that you've already done? I don't know. You know, I, I, there's that, the, the, the cliche, like if you could, if there's anything else you could do, you should do it. Um, I honestly don't know because I feel like I'm doing like, I keep being drawn back to this thing, right? Like against all odds, against all reason, I am being a singer right now. And, um, and I can't, I really can't, you know, I did the office job thing and I think I was pretty good at it, but I wasn't, you know, happy. I also think that, you know, not everyone does get to be happy in their job because, uh, you know, we're doing, we're all in a capitalism. Um, so, um, I don't think there's anything else I could do that I would be as happy as I am doing what I'm doing. Um, but I think that I have, you know, organization skills and self led starter kind of skills that I could, you know, easily jump into an office job. Um, should the need arise. All right. So president, president, then (laughs) I'll go into politics when I, when I, when I, when every time I open my voice, I feel like I'm not doing a good job. I'll, I'll pivot to politics, except that that, I feel like, I feel like that maybe like a a 15 years ago might've been a reasonable thing. And now I just look at politics and I'm like, I want no part of that. (laughs) That's a mess. (laughs) It it does seem contentious these days. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Are, are you somebody that, that um, do you, do you binge watch things? Like, do you like, no, no? Unfortunately, I don't binge watch. I haven't watched television in probably six months or any any Netflix or anything like that. Unfortunately, I got addicted to TikTok and it's like a terrible thing. It's like we it's like drilling holes in my brain. I feel my like intelligence seeping out <laughs> through every video. But it's like literally designed to make you just keep flipping and watching and flipping and watching. And so I've replaced watching any sort of like reasonable, intelligent, creative she shows her movies with just flipping through TikTok in my free time. And I hate it. (laughs) 
I mean, not that people aren't amazing. I am always like continuously, continuously amazed by the creative ways people share information and their hobbies and they're cooking and they're funny. And like, I, I am delighted by every single person and what they are doing and how creative they are. And that's why I keep getting addicted. Right. But I'm also just like, Oh God, that was 45 minutes. What yeah. I could have learned a whole oratorio. Why yeah. did I do that? <laughs> yeah. I, I just added drilling holes in my brain to my, my title list. Um, so so thank you for that i you're welcome I, i'm in the notes i'm in the notes i made it to the notes i put a little note that that was that came from you um, so i can i can credit you i made the notes i'm very proud <laughs> well um do you have any um what do you like to do in your spare time do you have any hobbies any non-music interests or hobbies or anything so we're um uh, we moved to racine and we moved into a very old house and it's well we're renting it um but it's it's one of those houses that like everywhere you look there's something that needs to be done to it and i'm not even though we're just renting i can't leave well enough alone so i've been painting and i i I do a little bit of woodworking and stuff like that um and so you know i've kind of just been like the for the last three months my project my my hobbies have been this house but in saint thomas i got really into orchid gardening and I at one point had like 92 different kinds of orchids in on my property. And like, I spent hours a day tending these babies. And I just, I became basically an orchid expert over the course of our nine years. And and then I moved to Wisconsin. And let me tell you what there aren't much of in Wisconsin, nor the conditions to make an orchid happy. So I feel like I had this like big, like purposeful, meaningful hobby that I can't do anymore. It's like a horrible thing to become like a functional expert at something. And then like, they're like can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm going to have to, I have to discover what my Northern cold weather hobbies are going to be besides painting this house staying warm that's the staying that's warm the hobby yeah yeah <laughs> um, that's very cool uh well um tell uh i don't know if that was 10 questions i don't care how um <laughs> how can people find you out there in the world on the socials and whatnot i'm on facebook uh i have almost five thousand friends so i may not be able to accept your friend requests but i love being friends with people i've never met because i'm always interested in seeing new places and new things and hearing people's stories um i'm on the instagram but i'm not good at it i am on unfortunately tiktok i'm also not good at that but i do make tiktoks more than i make instagram posts uh and what else do i do i mean I, you know, my email address is Laura at laurastrickling.com. My website is laurastrickling.com. I'm always um, interested to hear from people. Um, I love my, one of my favorite parts about being a singer is getting to travel to different places and meet so many interesting people. I always learn something. I always, you know, am touched anew by how um, wonderfully vibrant the world is um as, because every week i'm in a different place or not every week but you know in a yeah. good time when i'm, when I'm really yeah. roaring um you know i just i love to meet people and hear their stories so reach out i'm a very like accessible person you are that's wonderful well laura i can't tell you how much i've enjoyed our our conversation it's it's been really really fantastic i want to encourage everybody please check out 40 at 40 it's a really amazing fantastic collection of recordings and best of luck at the grammys thanks i mean i at this point i i don't even care what happens i'm just so excited <laughs> See, i would gonna... i would be the exact opposite i'd be walking in i would have this look on my face and everybody that came near me i'd be like you're not winning i'm winning <laughs> no i'm not, not like winning. that at all and people would be like no, i'm not no. even in your category man I don't know who you are. <laughs> like, like you're not winning just just all the way up and down the hallways you're not winning That'd be, that'd oh man, be have you seen have you seen the other people in my category? I've, I've I'm voting for I'm rooting for all of them. Like it is, it, there has never been a more like compelling group of people to hang out with. I am so excited. I don't care who wins. I just want to be there. I want to be I'm there sh- to cheer everybody on. 
I'm sure it is a, I'm sure it is a really, I, I, I didn't look at the rest of the nominees, but I'm sure it's a pretty incredible um, roster of, of humans. They're people that I look up to, you know, they're people who yeah. inspire me and who like are inspire my art making. So it's, I'm in good company. I'm really happy. See, I, I say this on the podcast. I'm all tough. In reality, I would, <laughs> I would be there looking around going, what am I doing here? <laughs> no, that's how it was. So like, you know, last year when I went to Grammys, I was just like, um, hi, Lil Nas X. I think right. you just like brushed up against me with your spike and crusted outfit. And like, I mean, and then like I was in line with, um, uh, Ad- uh, sorry, Megan Thee Stallion. And like, we were talking about our gowns and like hers was made by Valentino and mine was made by my mom. And, yeah. like, <laughs> and like, you're like, it is absolutely an out of body experience. It is crazy. And I can't wait to do it again. I am so excited. It's such a good party. Thanks for joining me, Laura, and uh, best of luck to you and uh, everybody check out all of her really amazing work on the albums and find her in the socials and all the things. And thank you so much. So nice to talk to you, Jason. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Composer Chats brought to you by SCM Media. Is your audience dead? Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guest this week, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast, Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, a sci-fi drama. Anywhere that podcasts are streamed, listen free. Seasons 1 through 3 are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.